Welcome to CDM Media's Executive Insights. I'm your host, J.D. Miller. For organizations looking to accelerate digital transformation, it takes three key pieces, people, process, and platforms. Arun D'Souza, Chief Information Security and Privacy Officer at Next Year Automotive Corporation is joining us. He's gonna be speaking at our upcoming Midwest Summit. Companies' margins have been reduced and expectations are high. Innovation has to move faster and leadership has to evolve. Risk, it's taken a whole new meaning in 2021. Business continuity is just one of the many complex business challenges creating unanticipated market turbulence. There's a lot to pack in there. We're gonna pick Arun's brain on this. When we come back, we'll have a discussion. Arun, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, uh, JD, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I look forward to a nice conversation today. We got a lot we got to dive into. And, and first, I, I want to talk about you know, many companies have been honest in the fact that disaster planning hasn't held up well during the pandemic. And what has been the biggest obstacle so far, the ups and downs during the process and how zero trust is embedded in the income. T talk a little bit about that to me. Absolutely. We, we've been very fortunate to have a solid, scalable identity management platform, right? It enables anytime, anywhere authorized access to a majority of business critical applications, both cloud and on-premise via single sign-on and multi-factor authentication, right? So this allowed pretty much a seamless lift and shift one day in the office on a Friday, Monday at home. And I've been here ever since for almost, well, more than a year now, right? And so that is a big thing. So, of course, for certain select on-premises applications that are very custom that we couldn't plug into the ILM, we had to use a legacy-based VPN, and then we determined that we had some contention challenges. Uh, but other than that, it was a pretty easy lift and shift. People didn't even realize you're moving from the office to the home, and it's become like a, you know, a new way of working today. We'll talk more about zero trust later in a minute, uh, but uh, let me start with that. Uh, also, I think because of that, I think our identity management platform powered a pretty seamless business continuity for us along with selected cases of the uh, VPN, et cetera. And it's just business as usual, really. Uh, and people learned how to use things like Teams and, uh, you know, Office 365, of course, remote, uh, using video from time to time. It's been a blast, really. Talk to me a little bit. What lessons have you learned from going to work from home overnight and how would you apply them to your business continuity plan going forward? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, some fundamental principles come to mind, right? <clears throat> What I've learned first and foremost is that strategic planning and enterprise risk management must be an adaptive, cyclical, and dynamic process. Because if you keep that front and center every year, you're much better positioned to adapt to macro environmental changes like COVID, which is really a seismic change, isn't it? Uh, and as we go into these kinds of uh, interesting circumstances and macro environmental conditions, building relationships and trusted partnerships across enterprise 
is key and really critical because when you're not seeing people in the office all the time, you need to really strengthen those relationships, take time to have a video call because there's no coffee machine, no walk down the hallway, and work a little bit extra hard to maintain that connection, right? Because conversation, connection, community, uh, because at the end of the day, it's relationships that can have help power it. And we'll talk more about that later. It's all about people and relationships. From a technology perspective, the primary lesson we learned is that we need to further optimize the zero trust and uh, software-defined perimeter uh, strategic plans to strengthen our enactment of identity as digital perimeter. So we, in fact, uh, since we started, have moved away from a legacy VPN uh, architecture, uh, the hub and spoke model to a zero trust network access cloud-based solution. So that's good. Now, why are we doing that? Because at the end of the day, as we pivot, you know, almost semi-permanently into the era of distributed work, we got uh, certain benefits from this move towards zero trust. Business enablement, uh, digital transformation, right? Because the world of work has changed today and the winds of change are blowing. Uh, you know, Twitter and other companies have decided as long as you want to work from home with Twitter, stay there. So I think this is an era that's going to stay. So zero trust can help power that seamless shift. Uh, when you embrace the identity, zero trust and SDP principles, you can have agility and flexibility to serve business services at any time, at a pace and scale, you know, almost on a turnkey basis. It allows the ability to do security federation, move security management right into the areas of the business or into the regions in a very proactive manner. Another huge benefit actually that we realized when moving from the legacy VPN into zero trust network access is significant savings because uh, VPNs are expensive. We strengthen the security as well because we all know that the VPNs, for example, have some legacy challenges of security architecture. And last but not the least, the, my favorite, enhancing the user experience and productivity. A couple of uh, key principles about zero trust and software-defined perimeter, because they're not well known to everyone, right? Identity is the cornerstone of our security program. The ability to deliver anytime, anywhere authorized access for mission-critical applications and services. And in my view of strategic planning, we've complemented with zero trust and software-defined perimeter. So what is zero trust, right? Zero Trust was uh, postulated by John Kinderwag back in 2012-2013, and he said, you got to get over the idea that, you know, outside network traffic is untrusted and internal network traffic is trusted. He says, all network traffic is fundamentally untrusted, right? So therefore, nowadays, we've got to drive a culture change and managing security from the inside out and not the outside in like in past days like abandoning this notion of the castle and moat and as you know jd there is no castle and moat anywhere today because we're all working from home most of us right so the ability to use that philosophy is very cool uh, so as you start doing zero trust granting users the least amount of access necessary always verifying is very very important and zero trust is across the three layers of people, process, and technology, it's not just a technology thing, though you do need a coalition of technology, starting with identity, multi-factor, encryption, CASB, and whatnot to enforce it properly. 
But one of the great benefits of this uh, zero trust network access is the fact that it helps strengthen privacy too, because if you want to implement it correctly, we've got to be able to focus on business process mapping uh, and data flow mapping as well. And these can help strengthen the privacy safeguards. A word or two about software-defined perimeter, the third leg of the trifecta. Uh, it extends the zero trust framework and what it does is it controls application access dynamically on these three principles. Of course, user identity, but also device security, device posture, and last but not the least, session risk in dynamically in real time. So therefore, when you use all these principles working together, you should be able to provide access to user community for all your mission critical apps securely. And this is fundamental in this era of distributed remote work. Yeah, when, when we're talking about that, how as a security executive, security officer, how'd you navigate the transition to the distributed or remote work? Uh, I think uh, there's probably four principles, I would say. The first is build and maintain trusted partnerships and fostering mutual support and collaboration across the enterprise ecosystem, both within the company, but also with partners and vendors as well. And I can tell you that's really important because uh, especially last year, one of the key things that I did was work with all our strategic partners to enact strategic cost optimization, you know, kind of rebuild our contracts, restructure them to enact cost savings, get additional tool sets um, uh, and also, you know, keep my team engaged. And I couldn't have done that without these strategic relationships, right? So I think the first and most important thing, whether inside the company in the era of distributed work is partnership. Can't speak enough about that. Something that's always germane and relevant is executing priorities effectively, but even more so today, because how do you keep your team and your larger stakeholders engaged and enact priorities in the right way and not chasing the next fire? How do you stay on track and work with the business stakeholders and your team and IT to do that? The third and most important thing uh, I would say among the things I'm going to say is fostering a culture of respect and trust, right? When that's always true, but even nowadays, like it's just simple things like, you know, when you get on a video call, take the time to inquire how people are doing, you know, show them that you care because it goes a long way because when people can't see you from time to time, they see you once in a way, you can make a difference. And the last thing is leveraging constant communication, relationship management, and minimizing conflict. And just working together in a common cause and what I call the power of federation. Well, fantastic. Well, I, I got a two-parter for you here. How have you seen a shift over the last 12 months as it relates to you needing to innovate faster within your organization on what's possible and where the, the company can go? And also, how do you think trends such as AI, machine learning, RPA will impact your industry. From innovation standpoint, what are your thoughts on best strategies to, to adopt such technology securely in reducing the associated risks? Like I said, two-parter, it's a loaded question. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, JD, that's a fantastic question. <clears throat> so the first part uh, answer is due to macro environmental and economic pressures, AI and, and ML, and even robotic process automation can help enhance efficiency and productivity by re-engineering and automating business processes in the manufacturing floor and across other business areas as well, right? But for example, 
on the factory floor in support of digital factory. They can help reduce cycle time and deliver predictive analytics to enhance equipment reliability. Uh, as well in the cybersecurity arena, AI and ML can help strengthen cybersecurity defenses by adding a new embedded layer to the security architecture, which can help us as CISOs enact real-time adaptive control strategies. Now, in order to take that next step further to answer the second part of your question, the following guiding principles can help CISOs balance security and innovation resultant from these game-changing technologies, right? Number one, business partnership. To work with the business and the CIO to proactively align priorities, assess risk, and implement the appropriate administrative, physical, and technical safeguards. Number two, convergence. Deploying a layered security architecture and extending it while integrating data and applications. A proactively unifying data management with identity and access management to foster innovation, but yet at the same time, foster and protect security and privacy. Third, change management. This is really pivotal. Driving and managing change in concert with IT and business leaders to leverage synergy and avoid gaps in stakeholder expectation while adopting a proactive change to IT change uh, to foster innovation while balancing security and privacy. And I meant a proactive approach to IT change. <laughs> and last but not the least, Strategic planning, building a cybersecurity strategic plan with clear targets and strategic goals, supporting business objectives, because if you cannot go back to the business and you know deliver on your promises and show your progress to plan, next time you go out to ask for something, they aren't going to support you, right? How do you balance promoting innovation while managing risks and compliance requirements? Oh, that is a... Simple but tough question. Yeah. Let me see. I would start again with business partnership, but another flavor of business partnership uh, in the sense, understand the regulatory impact on the IT department and work with the legal proactively to align priorities and support an IT business case, right? Because it's, you have to work together. Uh, the next uh, thing is a strategic ID roadmap. Right. Uh, again, building a strategic plan with clear targets and strategic goals, but yet enacting like on a scorecard, how you're complying and supporting the regulations. Uh, yeah, convergence uh, is important too, because in order to manage risk, you've got to converge our architecture and data uh, because uh, it'll help you centralize data for ease of management and compliance. Uh, and this of course adds value and fosters innovation. Uh, the fourth thing I'd say is portfolio management. You've got to be able to maintain tight portfolio management, making sure that your strategic plan and the key initiatives that you uh, engage with the business and IT stakeholders are progressing in the right way. And really work with the CIO and IT to understand the whole IT change agenda to avoid gaps and overlaps and remains benefit focused, right? Because uh, especially in this uh, era of distributed work, uh, you know, maintaining that laser focus is very important. Uh, the fifth is third party services, uh, you know, making appropriate use of third parties, using them when and where they can add maximum value. Uh, 
you know, such as providing proactive uh, insight or specialist skills and staying close to your strategic partners because they can help you in cost optimization, but also providing you additional insights that uh, they can gain through their extended network. And uh, another emerging theme that comes to my mind is there's something called the Spectra Alliance that has certain key security firms uh, like Okta, CrowdStrike, and Netscope as an example. What they're doing is something very interesting is that they're sharing threat intelligence and that benefits all of their clients, whether or not you have them all. So I think this alliance-based uh, approach is really great. And so if you as a CISO can tap into these alliances, there's something beneficial to everyone. Uh, but that goes two ways to a CISO, then you should also give something back, engage with these alliance partners and try to give your views as well. And the last but not the least is a proactive approach. Taking a proactive approach to IT change, which can then encourage rather than stifle innovation uh, in, in sometimes an increasingly regulated climate. So how do you ensure that there's an effective use of data in an AI-enabled world? Yeah, A AI is something that fascinates me greatly. And just a little personal nugget, when I came to the United States many years ago, the first semester in graduate school, I had a chance to take one non-chemical engineering elective. And guess what I took? Uh, introduction to intelligent systems, artificial intelligence. So I, I love it, right? And it's come a long way from those days. Uh, but uh, in order to deploy AI, which can be a game changer effectively, there's some first principles that you should utilize. Number one, calibrate and vet the system to minimize and eliminate bias. Uh, I think that's very important because if you don't do that, uh, you, you could get uh, you know strange results or things that you don't expect. Uh, the second thing is to implement privacy by design and default, right? Uh, example, using things like data minimization techniques so that the AI is using data within its purview and not more than it should to create bias uh, of another sort. And conducting data privacy uh, impact assessments, right? Whenever you start a new system, but particularly an AI system, and just conduct a systematic and extensive evaluation of personal aspects relating to natural persons, which is based on automatic processing, including profiling, and on which decisions are based that can produce legal effects concerning the natural person or similar significantly affect the natural person or individuals like you and me, JD. So accordingly then, most AI systems would require a DPIA or data privacy impact assessment um, <clears throat> under data protection perspective before carrying out any personal data processing, right? Then uh, that is the same point in time, you've got to balance the security measures. And uh, last but not the least, reviewing the artificial intelligence uh, operational guidelines uh, versus principles of uh, fairness, purpose li limitation, data minimization, <clears throat> data minimization and transparency, which is classic GDPR principles actually. So yeah, I hope that helped. No, absolutely, absolutely. So what does the future look like with human-centered design thinking, simplified workflows, and process automation? Uh, yeah, these uh, tools are exciting and amazing, and they can help drive competitive advantage and provide a variety of benefits, including but not limited to 
increasing effectiveness and efficiency, providing actionable insights, driving continuous improvement, and reducing operational costs. Yeah. So as, as many organizations look to bring employees back to the office this year, they're likely going to face a, a wide range of issues from safety protocols, getting people used to the hybrid working model to ensuring uh, equity for those who may want to remain remote. So what's the prognosis and I guess associated risk for productivity in this new hybrid environment? Yes, uh, in my opinion, productivity will be on the rise in the hybrid environment. And, uh, you know, because the line between, you know, professional and personal lives is blurring so much and I'm myself guilty of it, perhaps you too, JD. Yeah. You know, we work too much sometimes, we just to lose track of time and by nature, the companies benefit. Uh, so some of the risks included with this, are, you know, unencrypted data transfer because people sometimes use their personal email to send corporate data or something, possibly weak personal network security, not using a secure Wi-Fi network because most of us are using Wi-Fi networks, right? Sharing work devices with you know, family members, for example, right? Uh, that could be a risk, isn't it? Uh, and then all of us have to beware of phishing and the email uh, attacks, because if you're using a work device to check your corporate email, chances are you're a very strong email security platform that can prevent you from spoofing, targeted attacks and all that stuff. However, now if you use the same device to check your personal email, it in all likelihood does not have the same level of protections. So you could theoretically go and click on a link that has not been well filtered and you could by accident introduce ransomware into the corporate network. Uh, and uh, one, one more thing I would say, uh, on a personal front, as the line between work and home life continues to blur, the risk of burnout is very real. So from a leadership perspective, it's very important for us to serve as mentors, and keep close to our teams, encourage them, you know, and all of us have to embrace the skill, right? Uh, and try to do it more often. Hope that helped. No, absolutely, absolutely. So with everything you just mentioned, how can we spend smarter now to achieve smooth sailing? Number one, invest in a strong identity platform if you have not already. I mean, that is foundational. Identity is the cornerstone with Zero Trust and SDP, right? Uh, and then really complementing with zero trust and SDP, things like adaptive multi-factor, including the gamut of business process mapping and data flow, so you can better protect your enterprise. Uh, a third thing would be to actually focus on integration, interoperability across the security architecture and consolidate vendors where it makes sense, right? So that you can save costs. Uh, and uh, the last but not the least, and this might come as a surprise to you is Make InfoSec training and awareness a key priority. Invest in content or platforms to further train your uh, staff, right? Because employees are the first line of defense and you got to enlist them, provide them the tools and even using tools and techniques such as gamification, using competitive leaderboard and stuff of the nature, so. People process platform. We're gonna discuss this at our Midwest Summit. If you had to focus on one of those above all others, which would it be? Yeah, digital transformation and the era of distributed work and the pace of change, right, necessitates, I would say, an enhanced and ongoing focus on people front and center, uh, for sure. 
But in order to do that effectively, there are a few things that you can do. Number one, let people know and enlist them as the first line of defense across the enterprise ecosystem, which I touched upon earlier, train them. In fact, even service trusted advisors to them, even if it's how do you have an effective home uh, network and how do you approach your uh, bandwidth limitations and stuff, be there for them, right? Emphasize training and awareness. Act as a trusted advisor and mentor, right? Uh, uh, and then, of course, uh, leveraging a layered security architecture across the trifecta of infrastructure applications and services. And uh, embracing identity, insights, and integration as guiding principles. Uh, enacting an, an adaptive vulnerability threat and enterprise risk management process. Stay ahead of the curve, right? And, and then promote the key tenets of a good security program, security powered by people and the power of federation. Uh, and the power of federation is important. That is meaning people across the enterprise ecosystem, inside and outside the company, enlisting them in a common cause and gaining synergies and, and uh, making a security program scale seamlessly. Thank you, JD. Really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, it, it has been fantastic. I'm looking forward to, to connecting again at our, our Midwest Summit. And Arun, thank you so much for letting me pick your brain today. My pleasure. You can hear more from Arun at our upcoming Midwest Summit on May 20th. You can visit our website at cbmmedia.com to listen to past episodes of Executive Insights. I'm JD Miller, and remember, Keep connecting.